0: So last week, we introduced the letter to Ephesians. I was shocked this morning as I walked around to many of our community groups, our Sunday school groups this morning, and uh, it was interesting to me that many of them were studying the book of Ephesians or had studied the book of Ephesians, and the Lord is, is growing us all together, and he is directing us all into this book, Right? He is leading us all here for what he wants to speak to his church here at Northwest, and I'm excited about that. Um, This is a tremendous writing of Paul, and uh, not only do we get to experience and see the glorious salvation of God that he has given to us, but then... In the second half of the book, in the last three chapters of the book, we get to see how to apply this glorious, great salvation. We get to, to live out the gospel in our life, and that's why we've called this series and entitled it, Gospel in Life. And this morning, um, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10, The book begins in chapter one uh, with this extremely long sentence. It's in the Greek. My wife said, is the sentence in the Greek from last week's sermon? Because my Bible has a period in it. And I said, yes, the sentence in the Greek is one long sentence. From verse three to verse 14, there is no period. And it's a run-on sentence. It's not a run-on sentence because it's the word of God, but it is one long, good sentence. Wholesome sentence, right? For you grammarians, it's, it's correct, obviously. Last week, we saw in verses three through six, the eternal Father's plan from the beginning of time, he chose those who are in Christ before the foundation of the world, This is a difficult concept, and we talked about it in depth last week. We cannot understand all the mysteries of God because he is God, but we understand that he did choose us, therefore we the church are, are blessed, we are chosen, we are loved, and these truths should bring about reassurances in our life that we are not by happenstance, we're not followers of Jesus just by chance, but by the actual plan of God. It should bring about humility in our life knowing that our God is sovereign over all things including even our own salvation. It should bring about comfort to us knowing that we have been adopted as children of God. And so while God is unveiling to us the Father Working in the past, laying down a foundation for our salvation. This next section reveals what Christ is doing in the present. What he is doing through the work of the gospel. What he is doing through the work of the cross presently in salvation. God revealing to us the plan of salvation past in verses 3 through 6 in present verses 7 through 10 and then next week we'll talk about in the future in the inheritance. This is the plan of God. And guess what? The plan of God is Christ. So let's look together at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 this morning. While you open your word to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it is page 976 in the Pew Bible in front of you. You can stand in honor of reading God's word together as we read it as the body of Christ. Stand as we read. We're going to read 3 through 14 again because it is one thought, but we're going to study 7 through 10 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's be seated. Let's pray while you're seated and while we begin to hear from the word. This morning, Father, we ask that you would speak through your scriptures, through your word, the inspired word of God to us this morning, to our hearts and to our minds, that we would understand your plan of Christ who redeemed us, who saved us, who bought us, who granted us forgiveness. And Father, may we understand that so that we may worship with our life. Father, it's appropriate this morning that we hear the word of, of Christ, that we hear the word of the gospel, and then we respond. Father, we ask that we would respond, that our hearts would be open to what you speak to us this morning, that your spirit would speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see when I read this passage I I was in awe of God's plan for salvation. You see God's plan is perfect. Jesus in our place. But a lot of times our plans, the plans that we determine or plans that we design, they are not. Sometimes they're not even good, right? Have you ever made plans that don't work out the way that you design them? In our head, maybe we have these grandeur designs only to see them crumble before our eyes we recently had to go to a family wedding slash reunion in Hunt, Texas. I told you that we would have a story at some point about this RV, and we are going to have it. It's an eight-hour drive one way, right? And uh, so it's a pretty good jaunt, especially for a five- and seven-year-old, and, um, but it had to be done. And so my mom... Uh, who is the camaraderie queen, she likes everybody to be together, said, I'm going to rent a 15-passenger van for all of us to drive down together. Won't that be fun? All 15 people in this van, seven children and eight adults. And me, being the enthusiast, said, let's just go one more and let's get an RV and take it down there so we can sit across the table from each other. My sister said, that's probably not for us, so that was minus five, and so it was just, or minus four, so it was just 11 of us. And we get the keys to this RV we'd never driven before. We'd never I've never been, been in an RV, just to be honest with you, and we're renting this huge, huge piece of equipment and machinery, this lady's telling me all about these things, and I'm going, okay, I guess I can do this. So we get the keys, we go to the Walmart parking lot where we meet everybody and and get into this RV and we're so excited to get set and ready to go. We have these big plans of, of getting there and everybody having the greatest time on earth. Well, the first two hours were great. We got to Fort Worth, two and a half, three hours to Fort Worth and we stopped at Bucky's. I don't know if you've ever been to Bucky's. It's a great place to stop. It's got lots of toilets and lots of good food. But at the end of the day, we stopped and we got food. But there's no tables at Bucky's because they want you to go in and buy stuff, but they don't want you to stay there, okay? So they want you to go and, and leave in your car. There's no tables there, so I thought, well, I got this great idea of maybe we should park the camp, the RV and pop it out. And what you do is pop it out. You push a button and it pops out in, in the middle of the parking lot so we have more room and we can eat and, and manage one another. So I said to my brother, watch this, you know, I'm real excited about this. And <laughs> I hit this button and it starts moving back and everybody's excited and, I hear this. And I think to myself, well, that's not good. Look down. One of the drawers had opened in the car ride and the drawer snagged and ripped the siding off of the, of the uh, pop out there. So we had, we had finished the pop out. Uh, we had completely demolished the pop out before we had left Bucky's And I said to myself, you know what, this is going to be great. I'm going to sit with the kids. I'm going to play this board game, and all the parents can talk and have a great time. So I get this board game out. My brother's driving at this point, and about 15 minutes in, I feel like I'm about to, I don't know, I feel really sick to my stomach because the stop and go, I'm trying to play this game with loud kids, and it just gets a little bit too much for me. So I put the game up, and my wife's laughing at me at this point. I think I had said something to the effect of, Watch this, it'll be like a three hour game, and we'll almost be there. Fifteen minutes later, I'm packing up the, the, the stuff, and I have nothing left. And about this time, things start to get a little hot. We start to begin to sweat. The AC goes out in the RV. At this point, the RV's feeling a bit small with 11 people in it. So 12 hours later, we reach our destination. Did I tell you it was an eight-hour trip? We had all the people on board that we brought, so that was a good thing, but now we're gonna make a return trip in 48 hours. So plans maybe don't make, don't turn out the way that we want them. I looked at this verse in Proverbs 16 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You see what I'm saying? The Lord has plans. We, we think that we have plans, but our God has great plans. And God's plan from the beginning was perfect, it was fully fulfilled in Christ. God's design from the beginning was redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation of all things in Christ. And God's plan was fully fulfilled in Christ. There was no need for another sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10 12 says this but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God that's what he declares upon the cross it is finished for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified that's verse 14 in Hebrews 10. You see, Christ is the perfect sacrifice for sins. And God brings about his redemption, which Paul is writing here, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins at one point in all of history, which points us to the cross of Christ. This is the very plan of God. Let's look at verse 7 together. It says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 7 gives us our first point this morning. God's plan is redemption. God's plan is redemption. Redemption. You know, sometimes people believe that uh, that salvation is basically forgiveness. You go to God, ask Him forgiveness, and He forgives you. But salvation is so much more than that. It is God's redemption. Jesus paid the price for sin. Forgiveness of sin comes about because of the redemption through His blood. Now. Let's talk about that word redemption. We don't really use this word very often. Some people use it when they say redeem, Um, when they're couponers and they're cutting out coupons to take the store, they say they redeem their, their coupon. But the word redemption really means to buy back. That's what it means, to buy back. John MacArthur, he defines the term like this. Redemption is an act of God by which he himself pays as a ransom the price for human sin which has outraged his holiness. Let me say that one more time. Redemption is an act of God in which he himself pays as a ransom the price of human sin which has outraged his holiness. We say it like this. The wrath of God is appeased by the payment of sin The payment for sin, which is Christ. You see, a holy and a righteous and a just God must punish sin. It is in his nature to do so. So he provides what we would call a redeemer, someone who is willing to buy us back from death and from sin This is a beautiful picture, and and it's pictured throughout the Bible. But one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible is the story of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer of Boaz. Ruth is a a woman, and she's scouring the leftovers from the fields just to eat. She's a a foreigner living in, 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 in the land And the owner of the field sees her, recognizes who she is, and says, I will pay for you to be my bride. That's what Boaz does. He pays the price for her. And he says, come and eat at my table. You see, this is what Christ does for his church, the bride of Christ, which is the church, he buys them. And then he says, come and eat with me. He is their redeemer. Another picture is in the Chronicles of, Narn- of Narnia with C.S. Lewis, in which he writes this book in which there's, there's a, a, um, a Edmund, which is one of the children in the book, and he comes into the land of Narnia, and he is deceived by the, the white witch, and he eats, he takes and he eats and he becomes spl- enslaved to her. And yet Aslan, the great Christ figure, the great lion, comes and he takes Edmund's place on the stone table in which he is sacrificed. You see, Edmund, bu- Aslan buys Edmund back in giving up his life. You see, the payment for sin is death. And because of the righteousness of Christ, his payment for sin was one time for all sin, John 8.34 says this, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, there are are five words that in the Greek that show us what God is doing in salvation. These are actually legal terms that describe this great salvation. And one is used as justification. You may have heard this term. It is a legal term. Someone who is acquitted of a crime. They're let go of a crime that the sinner And we think of this in this way. The sinner stands before a holy and righteous God accused, but God declares him righteous through the blood of Christ. The second word is forgiveness, which is used here in verse 7 as well. It's a legal term that actually means the canceling of debt, The sinner stands before God, a debtor in his sin, and receives the cancellation of debt because of Christ on the cross. Reconciliation is the third word. Sometimes two parties will go to court in a suit and they will be reconciled. They will come together. You see, the sinner, he stands before God as an enemy, But guess what? He is reconciled to God through the blood of Christ and he is made his friend. Adoption, we talked about that last week, is another term used to describe salvation in the Greek. It's a legal term of a family going to court to adopt a child. And think of it this way, the sinner stands before God, a stranger, but is made a son through Christ. And the last one is redeem, which we've talked about, to purchase, to set free, to buy back. And the sinner stands before God, a slave to sin, and God says, you are free. This is why he describes it here in verse 7 as the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. You see, once we understand our need for Christ, once we understand our condition, that we need to be justified, that we need forgiveness, that we need to be reconciled, that we need to be adopted, that we need to be redeemed. We see God's grace as riches. A treasure chest of indescribable love. I mean, this, you could ask this question to yourself almost every day to develop that desire for God and yearning for him. Do, do you understand that you were, you were paid for? Do you understand the richness of his grace? Do you understand that you have been forgiven And guess what? Those things what Paul writes here to the Ephesian church should develop a longing and a yearning and a desiring to know this great God who loves you that much. God making himself known to you through the message of Christ that he died in your place should change the way that we view God. It should change our heart, and it should change our actions, because what we're doing is responding to God's love for us. First Peter 1.18 says it like this, knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver of gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is what they sing in heaven, Revelation 5, 9. This is what it talks about is the singing, the song in heaven. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy of you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is why we share the gospel. Because it is good news. God would provide this great salvation in Christ. He bought you. He paid for you to be his child. Thanks be to God that he redeemed us with the blood of Christ. Lord, turn our hearts, turn your church towards thanksgiving, towards praise. For your name is worthy to be praised. Verse eight, which he lavished upon us. This is his grace, which he lavished upon us. One of our students, he has a new song about lavish. I'm sure he got it from here, but which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. By the way, this student, I don't know if you know this, but his, this student was one of the um, billboard Christian artists top 10 upcoming artists. And he goes to this church, Cooper Hill. So uh, get ready. He's coming on the scene. But he has a new song out. It's called Lavish. And this is what God is doing. He is lavishing upon us his grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. This is what God is doing. He is lavishing us upon grace and making known to us the mystery of his will. This is, this is uh, point number two. God's plan is to make Christ known. The purpose of his will is Christ according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. God's plan is to make Christ known. This is actually what the Holy Spirit does in glorifying Christ, is making him known. So when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers you to make Christ known. This is the ultimate plan of God, to make Christ known. And this is what we as the church are called to do. And he's giving us wisdom and insight to do this. Wisdom from God. Insight into who God is, revealing to us through his word about Christ. Andre Moreau, a French philosopher, much smarter than I'll ever be, much much more educated than I'll ever be, probably much more smarter than anyone that I know, said this. The the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I'm convinced that nobody else does either. (laughs) And yet God has revealed these truths to little children. My daughter can tell you why we're here. My daughter can tell you who created this earth. She's seven years old. He's even revealed his great salvation to little children. He's opened the eyes of the blind to see the mystery of his will. You see, the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, all the the things in the Old Testament point us to God's salvation through Christ. It's revealing his purpose in Christ in the gospel. These shadows are these types to bring about the revelation of Christ. In Genesis 1, He is the Word speaking forth in creation and putting into order that which is disorder. He is declaring, Let there be light. If you look at John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, Christ comes on the scene and God creates, and they are very images of one another. He is the Word speaking forth in creation. Genesis 2, he is the groom that presents his bride, the church, as holy without spot or wrinkle as God establishes marriage in Genesis chapter 2. What does God do? He presents Eve to Adam. He's presenting his bride. And that is a representation of Christ. Ephesians 5 tells us this. In Genesis 3, he is the promised seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15, he is the covering of animal skin on the sin-scarred, shameful Adam and Eve who tried to cover themselves, and yet God provides a sacrifice to cover their shame and their nakedness. Christ is the one that covers us through his blood. In Genesis 4, he is the first and the best sacrifice unto God in which God is pleased as he is pleased with Abel's sacrifice. In Genesis 5, he is the very son of God. As you will see in Genesis 5, it tells us about the sons of God and the daughters of man and they intermingle, which causes the ark to happen the great flood in Genesis 6 Christ is the ark the provision of God in which he rescues those who come to him from the wrath of God God pouring out his wrath on the earth in Genesis 7 he is the door to the ark which opens to people of faith and closes to those who go their own way In Genesis 8, he is the dove that brings hope through the olive branch, showing we can have peace with God through Christ. In Genesis 9, he is the rainbow of grace that God will not destroy the earth again, because the one who is coming will show the ultimate grace of God. Even if we don't deserve God saving us, God will provide a way of salvation through his grace, which is found in Christ. You can go through the book of Genesis and see Christ all over. In Tower of Babel, he is the way in which they are trying to make their own way to reach God. He is the way to God. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, he is the ram caught in the bush that is the sacrificial substitute for us. And in Joseph, he is the beloved son of God who is betrayed by his brothers, sent to Egypt and falsely accused to be God's plan of salvation for his people. You see God is revealing to us the mysteries of his will and his purpose which is fulfilled in Christ. One of the great passages of scripture, 1 Peter 1:10 1, through 14, which I hope to preach at some point. I've never preached this passage, but I would love to Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. He's saying that the prophets, the Old Testament, those who prophesied about the one who is to come, they're actually preaching these things to you to affirm the good news that God has a plan for salvation and his plan was Christ. And then he says this, therefore, after understanding God's plan, after understanding these prophets are pointing us to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter says this, Now that you know Christ, understand the good news message, and now he has been fully revealed to you, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. You see, God's plan of Christ and his great salvation should change our hearts' desires. Let me me ask you this question. Is your hope Fully set upon the grace of God, or have you placed your hope in something else? You see, all of us have placed our hope in something. We were created to place our faith, our hope in something. And sometimes we have substituted the hope that we, we desire that is through God and his great story and his, his great salvation through Christ with football or money or our job or our next vacation in our RV. See, our hope is not in our former passions, but upon the grace of God and our future salvation, which is in Christ. Verse 10, bring almost to a close here. It says this, making known, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. This is our third point this morning. God's plan is reconciliation. And this is the hope that we're talking about the fully establishment of our great salvation, where one day we are with God for eternity. God's plan is reconciliation. You see, Christ is the goal of all history, the fullness of time. It is Christ in which everything points to. The paradise lost is restored in Christ. All creation awaits the day when it will be reconciled back to Christ because he's the one that created it in the first place, uniting all things in him. Romans 8 talks about this, Romans 8:19, for the creation waits with eager longing longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When's the last time you waited eagerly for heaven? Maybe some of you in this room wait eagerly for heaven or your hope is in the reconciliation with God our Father and the glorified body. Guess what? At the end, God wins. We know the story. It's like DVRing the game on Saturday or Sunday and knowing already who wins. When we we walk through difficult times, we know who wins. We know the end. It's like a pitcher who's pitching in the game and uh, it gives up a home run in the ninth inning like last night, right? You gave up the closer, gave up a two-run homer in the ninth inning, but if you had DVR'd it and you watched it this morning and you'd already seen on your phone what the score was, guess what, you're not worried, you're not consumed. Why? Because the next inning, your guy hits a home run and wins the game. We know God's ending to the story. The ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. Christ will put will put back into order that which is in disorder. He will unite all things in heaven and on earth. God's plan will be complete when all the rebellion against God is brought under the headship of Christ. Philippians 2 tells us this, so that every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's plan is reconciliation. God's plan is to take sinners who are far from God and bring them near. This is what it talks about when it talks about Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Just, just listen. The word of God about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven, or on earth making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. He is reconciling all things to himself by the blood of his cross. You know this is this is so important that we understand this is so important to understand why Christ came. Why did he have to die? And why we need him. The plan of God, the perfect plan of God, was Christ in my body. Place. Let us not re- forget that. Let us not forget the goodness and the grace of God in our salvation, which is through the blood of Christ. <music>